Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Right up 6 o'clock by my watch. Welcome in. It is the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number, should you wish to join the program, 615-737-1045, 737-1045, or again on Twitter at jmartzone. I tell you, I will not waste your time, and I won't. Coming up at 6.30, Grant Lynch will join me live. He is the chairman of the Talladega Super Speedway. Has been since 2009. Going to be retiring next year. We'll talk all about Talladega and about NASCAR. And considering I was born in Martinsville, Virginia, you know, that's been a, some part of my life to be sure. So we'll talk about that. And we'll also include a discussion about Fairground Speedway here in Nashville and what could be as so many things are trying to come into this town. What he thinks about potentially bringing a NASCAR event back to the Music City. So that is still to come. I plan to lead with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the situation going on there and also debuting a new segment we're going to do every Wednesday. But I might have to bounce that, honestly, because today in the Wall Street Journal, and at this point, I'm just going to state the facts from this article. It's not really going to amount to anything. But let's discuss for a moment this independent committee this legal team that investigated Urban Meyer and all of the shenanigans and what he knew and when he knew it about his former wide receivers coach, Zach Smith. It was led by a woman named Mary Jo White, who was part of the Ezekiel Elliott investigation. She's actually done quite a few investigations for various leagues and various companies. And it's clear based on this article that came out in the Wall Street Journal today, that she and her committee certainly overturned every possible stone to get to the right conclusion. They had to. Surely they didn't only go halfway here. That would be patently insane. Well, the Wall Street Journal reports that the independent committee decided not to send Urban Meyer's phone to a forensics, a forensics laboratory to determine if he actually destroyed evidence or not. They just decided not to do it. They also did not attempt to extract deleted messages from Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith's phone. He handed them a device. He gave them a device that had zero text messages on it. He told them, I routinely delete them after sending or receiving. Now, Full disclosure, so do I, and so do probably many of you. Sometimes I just clear everything out. I want to get rid of the clutter. Maybe there have been a bunch of you know photo attachments or 
documents or, or something sent to me and all that stuff stays. Like if you actually look at a text message and go into the details of that conversation, you'll see all the media that's been passed back and forth. If you scroll down and you can go back to any of that stuff without having to go through all of the messages, you can get to that media if you want to do it. So yeah, I do that too. But here, what Gene Smith did may, and this according to the article, have actually violated both an Ohio open records law and Ohio State University's detailed school retention policy. A spokesman for the firm backing the committee, that is Debevoise and Plimpton, is the committee and the firm where Mary Jo White works that sort of oversaw all of this. They said that the investigators consulted with a forensics lab, but when they were told it would be a multi-day project with an uncertain outcome, they declined to use the lab. I'm going to read that again. The investigators consulted with a forensics lab, but when they were told it would be a multi-day project with an uncertain outcome, they declined to use the lab. Of course it was an uncertain outcome. If it was certain, you would need to do anything in the first place. The reason there is an investigation is to find with certainty what happened in an uncertain situation. And who cares if it was multi-day unless you just wanted it done so you could pass this sham and that's what it was off as legit. And how about this? This shouldn't surprise you a bit either. Experts in similar investigations say it has become standard operating procedure to use third-party mobile forensics labs to attempt to retrieve deleted texts. Louis Free, who of course handled the Penn State situation for the FBI, put out the famous Free report, said, quote, it's just essential. You can't really do a thorough, credible job without doing that, unquote. Ohio State has Urban Meyer back on the sidelines against Tulane. Ohio State has Gene Smith back in his job and back in his office now. Justice was clearly done. And if you want to roll your eyes even more, the response from Ohio State fans, including one that has already sent me a message via Twitter, is that this article from the Wall Street Journal is, quote, fake news, unquote, and can't be taken seriously. Because one of the co-authors attended Michigan. So it doesn't matter about the facts. Doesn't matter about quotes from people that aren't from Michigan. Because she was from Michigan, this is a witch hunt. So she can't be trusted. Urban is innocent. What it is, folks, it's not a witch hunt. It's sad. Here's another part of this article. Debevoise and Plimpton, again, the firm Mary Jo White works for that was behind the investigation. They were authorized to charge up to a half mil, $500,000 to Ohio State for this investigation, for this entire process. But that total was being adjusted, apparently. Earlier this year, that sounds like, well, $500,000, that's a lot, right? Earlier this year, the same firm charged that bastion of money, like when the Forbes list came out that described the richest programs in the country, the schools with the most money, 
it was Texas A&M and a couple of other schools, and then it was, yes, the University of Rochester. Earlier, earlier this year, this firm was looking into charges of sexual harassment and ended up recommending policy changes. And the University of Rochester, the bill that they received was $4.5 million. I'm not great at math, but that is $4 million more spent by the University of Rochester than what Ohio State spent on this investigation. And yes, it is a problem that the people footing the bill for a, quote, independent investigation are the people being investigated. That is something that probably needs to be looked at as well. The result of the University of Rochester actually drew criticism for being unduly favorable to the school. Again, reading from this article. And Mary Jo White's probes through the years have a history of that kind of criticism. I'm going to say this again. $500,000 to look into Urban Meyer and sexual assault, enabling, lying, deceit, information, cover-ups, etc. at Ohio State University, a multi-million dollar employee making almost $8 million a year. Four and a half million at the University of freaking Rochester. This is a sham of the highest order. What a bad look this is. It's a bad look for Urban Meyer, who can't seem to shut up, who apologizes for apologies, for apologies, for apologies. And then on Monday, when that Tom Rinaldi interview came out on ESPN, you can tell he still doesn't believe the allegations. And one of the things that he apologized for, he said, I'm sorry she feels that way, which is the worst. It's a bad look for Zach Smith, who has zero credibility. It's a horrible look for Gene Smith, who should be out of a job. And it's a horrible look for Ohio State. Now the least popular football program in the country. Nothing to do with those players. It's a terrible look for this committee, who were extremely thorough, and that's what they said, and that's what the firm backing them said. They were extremely thorough except for the fact that they weren't like at all, like not thorough at all. If they said, this is, this is unbelievable to me. The reason they did not send this to a forensics laboratory is that they looked into it, they talked to a laboratory, and the lab said, you know what, it's going to take us a few days, and it's going to cost $2,000. And so they decided, you know what, we're not actually going to use a lab. We have enough information now. We, are, we feel we have credible information. We don't need to worry about this at all. Not at all. Louis Free, quote, it's just essential. You can't really do a thorough, credible job without doing that. And then about just the policy at Ohio State, their records retention policy requires saving correspondence that isn't transitory. Basically, that means if you say, I'm going to pick up dinner on the way home, that's something you can delete. But there are things that you cannot delete that's part of the contract that Gene Smith is under to hold the athletic director's job at the university. A Cincinnati-based lawyer 
said about this, a blanket practice of deleting texts violates the records retention policy on its face, which therefore constitutes a violation of the state statute. It's incredible how they tried to make this out to be an actual investigation. There's a digital forensics lab that said they can extract the information to prove whether or not Urban Meyer's settings were changed and other information from mobile phones in less than 24 hours. And apparently that also was too much. 615-737-1045. Alex in Nashville here on the Big Six. Alex, what's up? Hey, man. Thanks for taking my call. Sir. Listen, I'm a lifelong Ohio State fan, and I think this entire investigation that they're calling it is an absolute joke, and the university is losing credibility by the second. They're, now the biggest, the biggest thing about this thing is how they've handled the investigation, not the actual acts that they could have got over, they could have accepted, they could have made, said we made mistakes and owned it, and here's what we're going to do to prevent it in the future. But they're basically laughing at college football, the NCAA, Miss Smith and her family, all that, and just saying, essentially saying, we don't care that you guys are mad. We're the Ohio State University, and we're bigger than this, and it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Urban is back on the sidelines. They went 3-0 and when he was gone against all crappy schools, but all Power 5 schools. TCU's not a crappy school, no. but the other two are. And now he's back. The investigation is complete. He's getting his, you know, $8 million. He, last, he lost .5, whoop-de-doo. It's a joke how they've handled the investigation. I hate to say it. Gene Smith should be fired. With The, the cell phone thing is ridiculous. Ohio State, if anybody with Ohio State is listening, stop talking. Every time you Amen. guys open your mouth, you're making yourself and everybody that wears Ohio State look dumb. Stop talking. Hey, thanks for the rant. Take, have a good night. Get after it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. That is advice they need to heed. Stop talking. I don't know why Urban Meyer can't stop talking, why he needed to do an interview with Tom Rinaldi, why he kept clarifying statement after statement after statement. It's clear nothing else is going to happen to him. Every time he opens his mouth, he sort of reopens this can of worms. Let people believe what they're going to believe. Somebody then tried to send me a message when I said this very thing a couple of days ago on social media. Somebody tried to send me a message that, well, when you're innocent, you scream it from the mountaintops. When you're guilty, you do what you're suggesting wrong at least as the way urban meyer's doing it when you're innocent you do scream it from the mountaintops please believe me you scream from those mountaintops from those peaks but you say please believe me for the same reason over and over and over and over consistency is the key the reason none of us believe him is because he has to keep clarifying and changing things, and the lies are now crossing over. Your lies need to be parallel. They need to be going in the same direction and not crossing over one another. You have hypocrisy in your own lies, and that's the problem with one lie is it's not just one lie. You have to tell other lies to, to keep that lie alive. And in this case, Urban Meyer has thrown different people under the bus, He's done whatever it is that he had to do in that moment for his story to make sense in that particular interview. So no, if you scream different things from the mountaintops, 
then we don't believe any of them. So shut up. Up next, Pittsburgh Steelers and that situation. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back, Big Six, 104.5 The Zone, the band of heathens out of Austin, Texas. Hurricane, the name of this song. Check them out if you have not, especially if you like Americana music. They're absolutely tremendous. Just put out a Ray Charles cover album that's spectacular stuff. We've got um, the chairman of the Talladega Super Speedway coming up next segment. That ought to be a fun interview, Grant Lynch. But let's talk about the Steelers here quickly. Whatever the problems are in Pittsburgh, it may have all found its genesis in Antonio Brown's Facebook Live broadcast a few years ago in the locker room. If you go back and you look from that point forward, that's when we started to see players begin to challenge the authority above them. It feels more akin to, let's see what I can get away with this time. Martavis Bryant should have been released long before he was. He's a knucklehead. Look, he's talented, but if you're the best piano player in the world and you have both your hands cut off, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're not on the field, I don't care what you can do, you're not going to help that football team. And then when Juju Smith-Schuster arrived and was as good as he was, it was finally easier to cut bait. Don't forget about the James Harrison fiasco last year that led to the former All-Pro ending up in New England for the stretch run and into the postseason. You got Le'Veon Bell wanting money. He's right now trying to spike the football, being in photos on jet skis and performing music in Miami clubs, releasing EPs, while his team is currently 0-1-1 and and falling apart at the seams like some kind of bad primetime drama. Le'Veon is really just trying to cash in while playing the position with the shortest shelf life in all of sports. It's not that egregious except the way he's going about it. But his team's out here talking about him openly weeks ago. They're celebrating James Conner touchdowns. It's a mess. The blame here is assuredly going to fall at Mike Tomlin's feet. Because with this many incidents, you start talking about, at least in college, you call it lack of institutional control. But in the pros, it's simply called losing the locker room. Some people will say he hasn't lost the locker room. Some will. Tomlin's been there for a long time. He's seen Hall of Famers come and go. He's there. Big Ben is approaching the end of his pre-Canton career. He was there as Dan Rooney passed away, which can't be overstated. It was just a year ago, July. And Dan Rooney was known as one of the classiest. He was one of the most popular owners in the NFL. Art's still there, but this is a team that has only had three head coaches since 1969. I think we're on our way to our fourth pretty soon. But Rooney helped define that culture. Sure, you had the Joey Porters of the world that always wanted the spotlight, but there were also a ton of guys in Steelers uniforms with a workman-like blue-collar mentality that led to a whole lot of wins, especially and obnoxiously for those of us who are not Pittsburgh Steelers fans, close wins where that team did not crack and then the opponent somehow found a way to hand the game to them or they would make one play late and it would just break something open. But eventually, a coach gets tuned out if he's not winning the ultimate prize. Look at what's happening in Seattle. The Seahawks right now, Pete Carroll is done. D-U-N, done. 
He's done there, at least. We're not seeing stories written anymore about what a huge Green Day fan Pete Carroll is. We're not seeing Pete Carroll smiling and laughing and running because every story that you read about the Seahawks is some variation of this. What is wrong with the Seahawks? Big Ben is out here saying Antonio Brown's just passionate. He wasn't happy with his role on Sunday. He had nine catches in that ball game. He has a league-leading 33 targets this season, 18 catches even though none more than 22 yards, so he's not making explosive plays. Maybe that's upsetting him. The touchdowns are going elsewhere. You had James, you had Schuster, you had other guys making plays on Sunday. He only had 67 yards on those nine catches. Roethlisberger threw 60 passes in that game, connected on 39 of them for 452 yards and three scores in that five-point loss to Patrick Mahomes, who is playing better than, I don't know, anyone ever has, at least in the first two weeks of a season. You've got Pete Carroll and you got Mike Tomlin. They both won Super Bowls. Neither one of them is a bad coach. But there's this thing in sports where guys need a change of scenery, even if they're good. And their teams need a new shot in the arm. They've tuned it out. They just have heard all that this guy has to say. Or they're starting to walk all over him. Scott Brooks in Oklahoma City was winning a lot of games with Russ and Kevin Durant and Ibaka and that crew. But eventually it was time for him to go. I don't know that Billy Donovan is the guy there. This is just one example of many where this happens. But Scott Brooks goes to Washington. He needed to change the scenery. The Seahawks had a dynasty in their hands, but they didn't go out and they did not get that dominant wide receiver one with all due respect to Doug Baldwin. He's a, he's a heck of a player, but they didn't get any real help. And then once Marshawn Lynch left, they seemingly hadn't prepared for that inevitability and there was no replacement. Just this offseason, they backed Russell Wilson over the defense. The latter, their defense looks atrocious. The offense isn't good either. Both of these teams, the Steelers and the Seahawks, appear to be going nowhere fast. Now, I picked the Steelers in the Super Bowl, losing to Atlanta, and I am rescinding that right now. This defense is terrible. They have been since Ryan Shazier's injury last year. They cannot stop a dead man from getting open down the field. Jags or Pats in the AFC is the only two teams right now that I believe in. I feel like one of them has to get there. I got this one wrong. I know 0-1-1 is nothing, and they're in a division where it's the Bengals up at the top, and the Steelers could easily still win the division and still get to the Super Bowl. But you look at all the dysfunction right now, it just seems like a no-way situation. I don't know... Look, Antonio Brown's not trying to be traded. That whole thing was just whatever. And now every little thing is getting blown up. But the thing is, this is so anti-Steelers. This isn't the kind of thing that you expect from them. You expect it from Cincinnati. You expect it from losing teams. You expect it from the Dallas Cowboys, honestly, because they've been dysfunctional in the past. But the Patriots and the Steelers largely didn't talk. Now, you had a few incidents. Mike Tomlin tripping a guy, running down the sidelines on a special teams play. And again, you had Joey Porter talking. And you would have moments. But generally speaking, the Steelers seemed to be above it all and just won a whole lot of football games. They had a few character concerns. But right now, nothing that they're they're doing on the field can match all of the tabloid stuff, basically, for lack of a better word, that we're seeing in that franchise. That's not how you get to the playoffs. It's certainly not how you get to the Super Bowl. I don't know how it's going to end up. Le'Veon Bell is eventually going to come back to the team, I assume. 
it just looks like this ain't going to be the year, and I got this one wrong, so I'm going to bail on that right now. Steelers are not getting to the Super Bowl. It is an absolute mess. Up next, Talladega Super Speedway Chairman Grant Lynch. Should be a really entertaining conversation. Stick around for that. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Church for you. Big six one zero four five to zone. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number six one five seven three seven one zero four five. Welcome in right now. He served as the chairman at Talladega Super Speedway since two thousand and nine. His name is Grant Lynch. Grant, glad to have you with us. How are you? I'm great. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. So this is your fun time of year. October twelfth through fourteenth is the race weekend down at Talladega. How exciting is this time of year? You've been doing this for a long time down there. Yeah, I have since 93. And uh, it's, it's the time where we really get to going and start talking to folks like you to, to let everybody know the 12th through the 14th when we're going to have our fall event and all the things we're going to do that weekend. Uh, you are going to kick it off on Friday night with the big one on the Boulevard party. And, and then on Saturday night, Chris Hansen's going to be playing in our infield. All you need to see Chris on Saturday night is a Sunday race ticket, and we have unlimited free camping at Talladega and all types of packages for families, military, first responders, um, just everybody out there. There's probably a package for you here. So we're ready for everybody to show up in about a month and have a big time for three or four or five days here at Talladega. How has that place and just that experience changed You know, in the 25 years that you've been there? It's been pretty uh, amazing in the fact that, you know, we went through a huge growth spurt and we built all those seats and now we kind of have downsized a little bit. The crowds are still strong here. Our infield is the hottest property I uh, think of in our, in, that we have in all of our racetracks because we sell out the infield about three months in advance of the races now and we keep adding more and more spots in there and keep putting more and more people in there. So, you know, we got a lot of things for the race fans. It's a great time, and by that time of the year, we won't be dealing with this 95-degree heat either. Yeah, no kidding. That infield, you've got an infield project also, Transformation. I read about it. it sounds really cool. It's uh, kind of much more up-close and personal fan experience. About next year, it's not going to be available this year, but next year around this time, looks like it could be open to the public. Is, is this the kind of thing that NASCAR as a sport needs to do to try and make the fans feel a part of the experience as opposed to just watching it from afar, giving them a little bit more of a feeling of ownership of the sport they love? I think you couldn't be any more right about that. I mean, what we're going to be able to do here, because we've done a lot of these things, but us in Daytona, we're so big, we have the square footage within within our infield, especially within the garage area, that we can do things that other people can't do. We're actually going to build a party zone between the top 22 teams who are garaged in 11-bay garage on each side of our party zone, you're going to be able to be in this giant party zone with a 41-foot diagonal IVIS screen in the, in the zone, bars in there, food in there, and everything. And you can get out of your seat and walk into the top 22 teams right in front, right on both sides of you, that thing. And we're going to have a new, we're going to move Victory Lane in there. We've got a great, big new paddock club in there. We're going to put a whole bunch of full hookup RV spots in our infield. So this 50-some million dollars that we're going to spend, it's going to be the last thing we have to do to make Talladega a race fan heaven for our fans. And we're, we're known as a bucket track. When you see the renderings of what we're going to do with this big party zone in between these two garages, 
it's going to rock the world when we open that thing up next November. Grant, when you got there in 93, did you ever think Talladega would look like it looks even right now in 2018? No. I mean, it, it, it was one of those things where when I got there, I mean, it wasn't being kept up as good as we do now. And now when, it, when you come, I, I'm so proud of this place. When it, before everybody gets here and we look at it, and we've got 1,100 11, acres that are groomed, it's the Augusta National of racetracks for our company because it just looks so pretty before they get here. And when they leave, we pick up trash for about eight days. <laughs> Grant Lynch is the chairman of Talladega Super Speedway, has been since '09. I see you're retiring from that position uh, next year, it looks like, and it's been a part of your life for such a long time. What makes what's the, What's your favorite part of your job? I don't know everything that goes into what you do in that chairman role. I know you were president at one point before that. And then you've kind of advanced to do this for the last nine years. But w what is it about that job that you enjoy the most? Well, I got to do a lot of things for the company that actually wasn't in Talladega. I spent a lot of time helping Bill Kansas, uh, passing bills in Topeka. I spent two years in, in Seattle trying to pass a bill out there to build a racetrack in Seattle, out in uh, Bremerton, Washington. So I've been gone a lot. But the greatest thing about now is I'm home. I'm at my track. I've got one massive project to do, and I'm going to get out of here in the next year and leave it to the younger folks to run it from here. Uh, here in Nashville, Fairground Speedway is a thing, and it's now being talked about again. It could be a long shot, but traditional stock car racing fans, including, by the way, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who tweeted about it over the last couple of weeks, they're starting uh -huh. to make a little bit of noise about NASCAR bringing a touring event back to the short track here in town. Now, there's the MLS stadium. There's all sorts of other hurdles. There's $20 million minimum and necessary renovations and approvals. It's a smaller track. It's a, just a little bit over a half mile, but it looks a lot bigger than it is. There are a lot of positives trying to bring something back to Nashville where it's sort of an it city at this point, but it's been a while. It was 2000 since the Xfinity Series or the trucks were here. But as somebody like you that's been around the sport on such a high level for a long time, what do you think of just the fairgrounds idea, both objectively and maybe subjectively? Do you think it would be a something that could happen, something that maybe should happen? It, it it depends on if they can get enough revenues up to do the improvements that they need to do, and then still think they can get enough people there to pay the pay the purses they're going to have to pay. So that's you know when you go up to the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, those purses are so big. You know, without the TV money and everything else, it's really, really hard to, to pay those purses. So that's what they'll be faced with is, can you get enough money to do a truck race? Can you get enough money to step up and do an Xfinity race? Now, there, you know, there's some of that that goes on. Uh, Tony Stewart's certainly doing it at his place at Eldora. Uh, so I think, you know, it's just a matter of somebody having enough gumption to make the improvements, get some, you know, public-private partnerships going and then see about tracking a crowd that can come fill up enough seats to help pay for the thing when you get it done. Yeah, that's fair. I, you know, I was born in Martinsville, Virginia, so oh, I've been I'm around from it. I'm from Winston-Salem. Yeah, and I lived so. in Winston-Salem and went to high school there, as a matter of fact, at North Forsyth, uh, okay. off of Shadowland Drive down there. I know you worked for RJR uh -huh. yeah, uh, for a long time there. but So you've been there for ups and downs as well. Like, you know, you've seen the tragedies that have happened, like with, with Dale at Daytona, and you've seen the highs of the sport, and you've seen the lows of the sport. It doesn't feel like too long ago NASCAR was really rocking, but all of a sudden 
you're hearing things about TV ratings and there's concerns and all of that. Maybe it's the lack of names. Maybe it's just the lack of some personalities. But what's funny is if you ever interview any NASCAR driver, they're always great. They've got a lot to say. They're big sports fans. They've got a lot of interest. They're candid. They're open. NASCAR makes them available. What is it right now, if there is something, that's causing NASCAR as a whole to maybe start reevaluating some things? Is it just a product of 2018 being a la carte entertainment for a lot of folks and just so many other things that are that can distract you maybe from being a race fan and being in front of your television on Sunday? Or would you just dispute that the sport is in trouble at all? Well, I think whether it's NASCAR or other sports, there's so many ways to take them in now that doesn't involve going to the event itself. Mm-hmm. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on all these various ways. And you have choices on now, well, do I go do this or do I go to another race? The days of people going to nine, eight races a year and sitting in a grandstand and watching the races, that's been long gone. And I think what we have to do now is we have to continue to grow with our ability to have other ways to contact people with our sport like other other sports are. And, you know, and our our base, you know, from years probably doesn't have a lot of those skill sets you need to do some of that stuff. So, you know, we, we, we have a little bit of that problem with our folks, too, but and you know, our fans here at Talladega, we, you know, they come back. We still 71% of our fans come from outside the state. Average distance traveled for us is right at 300 miles. When you think about that, it means yeah. half our crowd, half our crowd comes from more than five miles away. I'm five, five hours away. So yeah. it, it's just amazing that how we continue to draw and it happens year after year. So we're a special place. The nightlife in the infield is huge. I mean, it's the hottest ticket we've got. We sell out three months in advance now in there, and we keep adding more spaces, and they keep selling. And with the transformation, we're just going to put that thing on steroids. I mean, it's going to blow up when we build this thing and people see it because it's going to be so huge and so big, and nobody's ever done it. So I'm I'm really pumped up about what the next 13 months are going to have for me to do and, and to participate with and lead the team as we complete this last project, which is going to make Talladega – as good as we possibly can for the next 25 years with the track on track racing, the competitive nature of the track and just the party atmosphere and all the camping and everything and all the packages we have for kids and military and first responders and collegiate and just everybody. We're trying to be something for everybody and everybody. It's the party side. We have an alcohol free campground, you know, so there's something for everybody. In about a half minute or so, I know you're from Winston-Salem, so maybe it's Wake or maybe it's Carolina or Duke or NC State, but you live or you've been down in Talladega for so long, Alabama or Auburn, or is it or is it neither one for you? No, uh, we were neutral till both gra- girls graduated from Auburn, uh, uh, so, uh, so we, we're Auburn through and through now, uh, and uh, and but at the same time, I still pull for SEC teams regardless of who they're playing outside of the conference. But, I mean, we're, we're diehard Auburn fans. Grant, it's been really nice catching up with you. The uh, race weekend coming up October the 12th through the 14th down at Talladega. I've never been able to go to it. I have some friends that go every year, and they rave about it. So hopefully maybe one day I'll be able to get down there. But it's definitely something that all of our listeners should should check out if they're in the area or if they're not. If they're coming from five hours like most of your folks do, it's a yeah. worthy experience for sure. Well, you you come next November when we got the new deal going. You come on down, and, and I'll take care of your tickets. You just tell Hannah or Russell or whoever that I'm going to take care of you. All right, Grant. Appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with everything down there. 
Thank you. Have have a good show. Bye. All right, you too. That is Grant Lynch. He is the chairman at Talladega Super Speedway. He's been there since 2009 in that position. He's been in other positions at Talladega since 93. He's going to be stepping down next year. But what an edifice that place is. Maybe I will take him up on that. He wants to hook me up. I'll take him up on that. We got one more segment. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment, Wednesday edition of the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. A little bit of Kurt Vile for you. Loading zones. New album's not out yet. This single is, though. 615-737-1045 if you want to join us. 737-1045. Our thanks to Grant Lynch, chairman at Talladega Super Speedway, for spending a couple of minutes with us. Look, dude wants to invite me to go down there next year to experience what that place has to offer. That might be something I'll have to do. Another thing that I'm doing for the very first time ever this weekend is going to Knoxville for a football game. I've never been to Neyland Stadium before, ever. It's an atmosphere that I've always wanted to experience. I've been to a lot of cool places throughout my career and even back when I was covering things at at Western Kentucky, but I've never been to Neyland. So I'm going to be there for Florida and Tennessee this Saturday, and I'm super excited about it, super excited to be in Knoxville and just to see the atmosphere up close and personal there. But I've been thinking about this football game, and I did an interview on a radio station in Knoxville with a friend of mine yesterday, and he asked me what's going to happen in that game, and I said, I've got no clue. And as I sit here behind this microphone tonight on 104.5 The Zone, I still don't know what's going to happen. But I can tell you this. You cannot possibly overstate how big this victory could be for the Tennessee Volunteers if they're able to beat Florida on Saturday. I don't care that neither team is ranked. I don't care that neither program is firing on all cylinders right now. Dan Mullen's been a head coach before, and he's won at Mississippi State. Florida fans now dismiss Tennessee. Tennessee looks at Florida huge. Florida does not look at Tennessee in the same way because Gainesville just assumes that they're going to beat or drub Tennessee year after year. You had a chance with Butch a few years ago in that awful stretch where you also found a way to blow it against Oklahoma, and you couldn't get the job done. So Florida now sees Tennessee as beneath them. Jeremy Pruitt has coached three games, the last two against the Sisters of the Poor, as some would phrase it. And neither one of those two games was particularly impressive, even though one of them was a shutout against UTEP, an awful, truly horrific football team, 24 to nothing on Saturday. Culture does not change overnight. That's not how things work. But the goodwill and the optimism and the positivity that could be generated in Knoxville, Tennessee, if you can just simply get that Florida Gators monkey off your back, I can't tell you how big that would be. Florida doesn't even see beating Tennessee as a big deal anymore. And that's a problem. And that comes from bad coaching hires and mistakes being made on the field and on the sidelines. That is what those decisions have wrought in Knoxville. The goal this year for Jeremy Pruitt, nobody sees Tennessee as a champion or an SEC East threat. The goal is simply to change the perception within the community. If you win that game, you start to see what is as potentially different than what was. 
And that's the key here. That's what you want. That's why it's so important. Yes, it's important for Dan Mullen. Yes, it's important for Florida. But it's nowhere near what it can mean for Jeremy Pruitt. If Pruitt loses, it's not the end of the world. But if he wins, it could be the start of a new world. We know that the Vols are going to take their licks during this murderer's row that's upcoming. I mean, it's brutal. But Florida's winnable right now, as, as far as we know. This is the one where you have to show up from the start. You can't have Drew Richmond wearing a UTEP jersey like he was on Saturday with two holding penalties and all sorts of other mistakes from your offensive line. you got to show up from the start against Florida and push the envelope as far as you can. And then you've got to hope that your offensive line can avoid the penalties we saw against UTEP, avoid the mistakes that we've seen from them throughout the season, and literally push the Florida defensive envelope backwards and then stomp it out. They have not been impressive up front. And by they, I mean the Tennessee O-line or the Florida D-line. So it's maybe not as tall a task as it might seem if you actually start to look at that. Both of these units have struggled. So it's the equivalent of the blind, maybe not leading the blind, but the blind lining up and hitting the blind. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll predict it on Friday. Not going to predict it right now. I'll have something. I'll have my mind made up by that point. But this is an enormous football game simply for the mentality in Knoxville. It's been so long since there was optimism. If you beat Florida, all of a sudden you can smile again if you're a Tennessee fan. And that's big. On our way out the door, let's make you smarter. NFL doubled down on the Aaron Rodgers rule. You can't land on the quarterback. The Clay Matthews penalty was absolutely absurd. NFL said it was properly called. They're actually going to use that in training tape going forward to show players what you cannot do. Clay Matthews, who put one of his hands down, you could clearly see it to make sure he was not landing with his body weight. That's still not okay. The NFL is about quarterbacks and yards and points. You want to know just how many? On Sunday, the NFL's average passer rating was 105.1. Aaron Rodgers' career rating, 103.9. Average, 105.1. This is the new NFL. Defense is strongly discouraged. Ball calls next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.